welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen, fixing all the cameras and shit, getting us ready to go. Today we have a list that we're going to go over with you. Yeah, we got a list on a topic, um, the 10 reasons you are not seeing results in the gym. This is a combination of. Well, let me let me take that back real quick. Ten reasons you're not seeing results, and we're not you're not specifying in the gym because it's nutrition. Yeah, just train. Yeah, within so nutrition and training. This is why you're not seeing results at all. There you go. Um, and e- to even get more specific, this is why you're trying really hard and still not seeing results. Um, I did two different posts that were five things. One was for training. One for was for nutrition. So this is combining them. And on Instagram, you can only say so much. Yeah. You know, both of those. Post went pretty crazy and, and got a lot of feedback, a lot of engagement, a lot of shares. So I know people resonated with it. And so I wanted to do a podcast on it because, you know, in a, in an image that has like swipe, I only have so much room to type. So it's kind of like, like one bullet point is, uh, you're doing random shit in the gym and I can only say one sentence about it really, really yeah. as I've run out of room. So I wanted to spend time talking about why you can't just do random shit and as well as the other nine things that we'll cover today. Um, so it goes way beyond just the gym or just nutrition. But um, this mainly speaks to people who are already trying, which I would say is most of our audience. You know, even when like people who approach us for coaching, um, it's not that this doesn't happen because there's plenty of times where we do get people that come on board that say, I, I haven't dieted. I haven't tried. I need to figure something out. You know, I got to, I got to figure out something to do. I got to start changing to get healthy, to get lean, whatever. But there's also a lot, probably the vast majority of the times that people come on board, they come to us and they're like, I'm fucking trying and it's not working. Like what gives, you know? And there's nothing more frustrating than that when like you're going to the gym and sweating your ass off, you're pushing it, you're trying hard, you're dieting, you're tracking macros, yet either nothing is happening or something started happening and it stalled. You don't know why it stalled. Um, and because usually if it stalls, people do one of two things. They quit or they yeah. drop calories, yeah. right? And I definitely don't want people to quit. And sometimes I don't, sometimes people need to drop calories, but other times, a lot of times, 50% of the time, they drop calories and it's unnecessary because there's something they're doing. They don't have their ducks in a row. There's something they're doing that isn't, on point that could just be like this minor tweak of precision. Hey, just dial this in because you're just a little bit off here. So your diet isn't the diet you think it is. And that's why it's not working. Mm -hmm. But if you cut calories, yeah, you'll start losing weight again. But what if you could not cut more calories and you could still lose weight? Yeah. Like fix this and don't starve yourself basically. Yeah. Sounded like you were going to say something. No, I just think it like it's, it's hard for the general population that doesn't, is not a nutrition or training coach and mm-hmm. doesn't live in the gym to hear, hey, get one more hour of sleep and you'll see results. Yeah. Fuck no, I won't. Like, what is that going to do? Not, yeah. not, not, I shouldn't say, what is that going to do? But if you're, if you are tracking macros and you are, you know, sweating your ass off and you're doing all these things that you think, okay, I should be seeing results and you yeah. don't. And then somebody says, get, get one more hour of sleep. That's what's going to help. Yeah. You. Yeah. yeah. Easier but, said than done. Exactly. But, so I would also I'm say, not a nutrition coach. Yeah. And I would also say this too, and this is actually why I didn't put sleep on here mm. because, um, we haven't even gotten to number one, but yeah, but I mean, but sleep is one of those ones that a lot of people talk about. And I think, man, should I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I remember being a, uh, I just said that because I, it's important. I work with you. Yeah, I know that's important. Yeah. But here's the thing too, is you've seen me get pretty damn lean and yeah. you've seen me sustain a, 
the decent physique. I'm not shredded, but like I, when I sustain, I'm healthy and I'm lean. Totally. You know, I don't get a ton of sleep. Yeah. So I'm not going to be the one that says like sleep is the number one thing. Okay. Because look at professional fucking athletes. You think they get nine hours of sleep every night? Yeah. Fuck no. Yeah. They're sleeping on a bus. They're traveling. They're doing two a days. Then they go party and pop bottles. <laughs> they wake up and take a bunch of stimulants to wake them up and get to practice. Like they're living the life. Yeah. And they're working their asses off. So. Granted, now there's certain ones that take it way more seriously. Like Tom Brady's probably getting plenty of sleep. Yeah. And he's probably sleeping in a hyperbolic chamber yep. while he's at his bed. Yep. Probably cost 20 grand. Yeah. He's the, he's the champ. Yeah. He's the man. And so there is value in that. But I, I think it's also one of those things where that's going to pay dividends in the long run, you know, if you get better sleep. But it's not going to be like, hey, if you just get more sleep, like things are going to change like that. Unless you're somebody who has dysfunctional cortisol, uh, fucked up thyroid. Like you have blood work that shows me you're so stressed out and you're training so hard that we're going to have to do a couple things. Sleep will be one. More calories will be one. And reducing training will be one because you're just stressed out. You're a big ball of stress. And it's not that sleep is more important than less training. It's just that you need to do something to manage stress. So if sleep's the way, then sleep's the way. It's almost like that, that amount of stress is um, fighting your training. Yeah. You can't even recover from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you can't recover, you can't adapt. Yeah. So, um, but like all, all the reason I say that too, is because that's, it's rarely that that's going to make a huge difference. I'm always going to recommend people to get more sleep, but the reason sleep is actually most influential for fat loss isn't because sleep directly influences your metabolism so much that you lose more weight. Is there a relationship there? Of course. Um, so don't come at me with your studies showing that sleep increases metabolism because it does. I know that. But it's not, that's not the big thing. And even we had a conversation with this uh, on the second half of our meeting um, yesterday when all the coaches stayed on and we just started diving into clients. So um, me and Brandon Roberts um, and the, all the coaches, we collectively do it. It's actually really cool because like one of the coaches brings up a client and is like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with them. And it's like a round table. We're all just like, try this, do this, consider this and like troubleshooting the clients. But Brandon, who is any out of everybody we know, the most well-versed in research, Brandon Roberts, he brought up like the reason sleep is so influential is actually because of adherence. If you get really bad sleep, your adherence and ability to stay consistent and actually do the shit you're supposed to do for your diet or your training, it goes out the window. Lack of sleep increases cravings. It increases stress. It, it decreases mental motivation. So this is where I think that there's like, there's two types of people. There are the people that can get by with less sleep. It doesn't mean that they're, so there's like the, uh, an anomaly. It's like, I got to figure out, I, I brought this up before. I can't remember what the gene, it's actually like a specific DNA mm -hmm. gene, like, um, but it's like 0.000% yeah. or whatever. You can get by with less sleep and you maintain good health. So the person I'm going to use example isn't healthy for not sleeping let, little. They have a lot of willpower and motivation and drive. They're going to get the shit done no matter what. Um, and that's where like athletes, professional athletes, like you're not going to look at a professional athlete and be like, you don't have willpower or grit or motivation. Their willpower and grit and motivation is so strong. It overrides the adherence issue from lack of sleep. They're going to do the work no matter what. Yeah. Would they be more productive or better if they got sleep? Of course. Yeah. Of course. This is where like I, I am a person who I'm very driven. So I can get by with a little bit less sleep. I do try to catch up on the weekends and that helps me. But there's a lot of people who just don't have that instilled in them. So the lack of sleep is going to cause them to be uh, lack adherence during the diet. And that's the biggest issue. And that's yep. the majority of people. Yep. Um, but I have some clients that are freaks and they like, I mean, they're robots, they're machines. Any coach listening, you, you have all had those, those clients. They're rare, but sometimes you get clients that are just like, you tell them what to do. And then like, they're just losing and losing. They eat the same thing every day. There's like no emotion in it. Like 
and they're unfazed because yeah. they're just a fucking robot. Yeah. Good or bad. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not saying it makes the coach's job a little bit easier, obviously, but um, if it suits their lifestyle and meets their goals, whatever. But um, point being is, is sleep is one of those ones. Like I think people misinterpret its reason. So when people are like, because you bring up, and the reason I'm going on in this, you bring up a really good point. People all will be like, oh, yeah, because I'm going to sleep an extra hour, and that's going to help me lose weight. Yeah. It's not, but it's going to help you adhere to it long term. So if you just start sleeping an hour extra, in four weeks, all of a sudden you realize you've hit your macro spot on, yeah. and you haven't done that in several weeks yeah. before that. So the sleep helped your adherence, and your adherence is what helped you lose weight. Totally. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, I just want to be that that guy and say, you know, that, that point, point, point. Zero 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 gene mm-hmm. about you know if you can get shit done without a less sleep or whatever, but I want to be that guy to say those people that don't get very much sleep and still get shit done. Wh- I mean, it's so cliche, but what would they get done if they got more sleep? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah, I have no doubt about that in my it's mind. Different. I mean, I don't want to compare, but like that's between the mentality of you know professional athletes. Yeah. Like that. Well, and that's the thing too is I actually don't know with that. Because that percentage is so small, even in the, it's, okay, so, like, the people who get it to the NFL, let's say, that percentage of people, the people who play football as a whole in America versus as the people a young who child get, to the NFL. Yeah, yeah. The people who actually get to the NFL, that's a very, very tiny percentage. Yes. But the percentage with the sleep gene is even smaller. Yeah. So there's probably, like, a small percentage of people in the NFL who even have that, if they do. Totally. So who knows? Okay. But I, but I would say this to the, the average person, like, when I said me as an example, there's no way in hell I would argue that I would get more done if I got more sleep. There's no way. Yeah. It's honestly, it comes down to sacrificing. Yeah. It's like, what no, do I, I agree. you know what I mean? What do I want to sacrifice in order to get the sleep? Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. And I've thought about that plenty of times. Totally. I sit there and I go, fuck, how could I, how could I get more sleep? Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, me and Shannon even had that talk of like, you know, Blakely as she's getting older and her bedtime goes later. I'm like, fuck, maybe I sleep in a little bit longer and I get off of work later if I need to. Or it's just a matter of time before the business gets to a place where I can I would, I would love that. work less. <laughs> I'm sure you would. I'm a night owl. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, uh, cause yeah, Blakely's starting to go to bed closer to nine now. Cause she, she like, dude, she'll be like fall asleep on the couch at eight. And then you're like, all right, it's bedtime. And she's like, Oh, she oh gonna, shit. She's going to be asking for a car soon. Dude. <laughs> Growing she, up fast. <laughs> bro, she says some of the, she, uh, we were leaving the other day. Dad. Yeah. I want to go to Disneyland. It's like, how do you even know what Disneyland is? Like maybe probably a YouTube video, yeah. but I was like, but okay, yeah. you know, one day she was like, just like, how do you hear about that? Yeah. And I was like, all right, well it's, it's in a different state. So we'll plan a trip eventually. We're waiting till she's old enough. Cause like we yeah. went to the San Diego zoo. Yep. She fell asleep halfway through. Oh, so luckily that, I that, love the zoo. That was your, uh, your gauge, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. She can't not make there it. Yet. She can't make it. Yeah. You're not falling asleep. If we go to e- Disneyland. Yeah. And she would like, we Disneyland still have the parade. The exactly. <laughs> she needs to see it all. Yeah. And, uh, but dude, one day she was like, I don't know if she got this from Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or what, but we were driving the truck and she goes, I want a tree house. And I was like, okay, cool. She was like, no, no, I want a tree house, dad. And I was like, okay, well, sweet. Like, first of all, I'm not, we don't have any trees. Yeah. We don't have any trees. I'm not the big, I'm not the best builder. <laughs> Shannon starts laughing. You have to go to uncle CJ for that. <laughs> dude, she lost it. She's like crying. She's like, no, I want a tree house. And we're like. First of all, she needed a nap, so we we're on our <laughs> way home to get to that. But we were both just like, "Where in the hell did this like?" Trying to explain to her like, "Hey, we can't just well." And Mickey, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse show, he literally like, snaps his fingers and this fucking treehouse yeah. comes out of the ground. I'm yeah. like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know where we would go to build this thing. Yeah. So like, calm down. But 
Yeah, she's she's grown old. You have quick, a whole dude. downstairs fort, <laughs> dude. Literally. Okay, guys. So, um, dude, last thing about her, I just I had I was gonna share this with you. I forgot today. This is like the coolest moment. This happened yesterday. Perfect week because this weekend's Father's Day. Yeah. Oh yeah. She uh, go in the bathroom, take her off the potty. Like we're starting to walk out of the bathroom. She stops me and she goes, "Dad, you're Superman." And I literally was like, "I know." No, I'm just kidding. I literally was like, "What?" Like I wanted her to say it again. Yeah. She's like, "You're Superman." And I was like, "Thank you." And she walked off. And I literally was like. That was like the best dad moment ever. <laughs> I told Shannon, she's like, okay. And I was like, you don't get it. I was like, she called me Superman. Like, that's like, the, and she doesn't watch Superman. Blakely. Blakely doesn't watch Superman. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So first of all, I was like surprised that she said Superman, but yeah. I was like, that's like the best thing that's, to hear your daughter say. That's dope. And, and Shannon was like, okay, I could see that. Like, that is pretty cool. Good. And I was like, I was so pumped, dude. <laughs> Knowing Shannon, I thought she'd be like, oh my God, Blakely, come here. <laughs> yeah, no. I was so stoked, dude. <laughs> Love you, Shannon thought it was funny because I was so excited <laughs> yeah, about it. Like she yeah. came home or I, like, so the, as soon as I saw Shannon, I was like, guess what Blakely called me? Like I immediately wanted to tell her. So I was stoked. It's like, that's an early Father's Day gift. There you go. I'll fucking take it. All right. Now that you guys know that sleep is not one on these topics, let's get into the list. We got number one, you are doing random exercises every week. Would you categorize this as program hopping? Yeah. Not? Um, no, because that one's coming up. Oh, oops. All right. Kind of. It's, it's, not, it's not program hopping, but it's, it's, it, it, it ha- relates to that. This is more like one of my favorite uh, quotes of strength training in general. And I actually think I, I got it from Jason Brown. So I don't know if he was a good friend of mine. I don't know if he stole from somebody else or if he created this. But um, I actually think he might have created it because he kind of works in the CrossFit realm of like getting people out of CrossFit to do his style of training. And it's the random exercises equals random results, mm. right? Or random training equals random results. And the reality is, is if you don't go into the gym and know what you are doing, that's a problem, right? So why are you doing the exercises you're doing first and foremost? Why are you progressing them the way you're progressing, right? And this relates to the, to the program hopping because if you're program hopping or changing things too often, it's the same thing. But the key here is this, like somebody wants a bigger chest. So this is, this is something I did for a long time. Most guys, big chest, big shoulders, big arms. Like that's their main focus, right? Um, I, I think like genetics plays a role too. I've always been more focused on my back because genetically it, I need to work on my back more than my chest. But totally. when I want a big chest, what do I do? Barbell bench, right? And I mean, you're, you're, you're sub, this is perfect actually. And you bring up sleep as a good example of this. Mm-hmm. Like you're a good point of view from the gem pop side. That's probably what you would think. Yeah. Like somebody's like, hey, I need to build my chest. What do you think Cody would tell me? You'd probably be like, uh, bench press? Yep. That's my le- like one of my least favorite for building my chest mm. because it's, a ch- it's the most famous chest exercise, but for a lot of people, it doesn't target the chest as well for a few reasons. Number one, the main way to isolate your chest is shoulder abduction. We've talked about this before, right? Which would be like a fly, Right, but you can't overload the fly too much without stressing out your your shoulder or your pec tendon, your bicep tendon, the joints can be uncomfortable for some people. But uh, shoulder protraction is all you're doing with the bench press. You're just pressing forward, which means that you get a lot of deltoid and you get a lot of triceps because that's what extends your elbow. So only in that bottom range, you're really activating the chest. Mm. And that's if you have good shoulder retraction and thoracic extension for people listening, kind of be able to hyperextend so you can create a stretch on your chest. But for a lot of people, they can't. So that's not my go-to exercise. That's my go-to exercise for upper body strength, Mm. right? But if I want to isolate my chest for muscle growth, 
I'm going to choose an exercise that isn't random because people say it, it's, it's individual, right? And the one for me is going to be a dumbbell bench press. It's in every single week of my training program, and it has been for the last two or three years. Every single week, every single program, I'm always doing a dumbbell bench press in the five to 10 rep range. Um, and I'm trying to progress that. So what I used to do for five, I actually can do for like eight to 10 now, which is great. I used to be able to put the hundreds up for five reps and that was like really, really good. And now I can do them for eight to 10 multiple sets. That's progress. Soon I'm going to buy 110 pound dumbbells and I'm going to try to do it again, like keep progressing. But that's the exercise that I can keep the best grip for my shoulder health. It, I can create a big stretch without uh, pulling on the tendons like a fly. I can overload it so I can progressively overload it. And it's not only protraction, but it's abduction because I can bring the dumbbells in like I can't with a barbell. Barbell's totally. fixed. That's not a random exercise, right? So random exercises is looking at a paper, not knowing what the fuck you're doing and expecting results from it, right? This is why inside the Taylor Trainer, um, there was videos and there is videos on my YouTube and some of the things that we create for free content that push people to sign up for the app, they don't just show, and sometimes they do, but it's not just like, like here's some cool fucking exercises. Granted, we do that because on Instagram stuff, I want people to see, oh, those are cool exercises. Let me follow this guy. And then I'll go, hey, by the way, here's some knowledge. Yeah. Like read this stuff. But if you go on the YouTube, if you go on our blog, it's like how to program design, five tips for program designing, putting together an upper lower split, the best exercises for this and why, you know, it's, it's details because those details matter. And that's how you actually progress. They're not random. They're individual and they're specific. So, and this goes to like even, and this is a great book. It's on our <coughs> shelf. Um, Juggernaut's book, uh, Scientific Principles of Strength Training for anybody who's interested in program design or strength and stuff like that. It's a great book. The number one rule, there's seven rules, scientific rules for strength training. Principles. Number one principle is specificity. And what that means is if you're not doing something specific for your specific goal, you're doing something random and you're going to get random results. Yeah. Plain and simple. So this is number one because I want people to have intention. So more than individualized, I think intention is, is, the, is the real key. Why are you doing what you're doing? Don't do random shit. Then that applies for cardio. It, it, I mean, it applies for diet too. Like somebody tells you to do the keto diet and you say, yeah, and start diving into it. You have no idea why you're doing it, what, how it's working, if it's working, when it ends, anything like that. Have intention with what you're doing, especially with your exercises because strength, speed, endurance, hypertrophy, fat loss, they're all different. Hypertrophy and fat loss are pretty damn similar in most cases. And within those, there's an intention behind each exercise and there's a purpose and a duration of how long you should do that exercise, how you progress that exercise it's all specific. You know what I mean? I think it all comes down to, and I mean, there's a lot of aspects, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, inside of all that, whether it be structure, periodization, et cetera. But you can also, like, we're not even going to get into that, but you can relate that to anything in life. Have structure, have a, have a purpose, have a goal, have periodization, and you know what I mean? Yeah. To I be able to. I've said life periodization. Totally. I mean, not even just for diet, but like. Yeah. Um, just mapping out. How you're gonna get there? Yeah, I've uh, I've heard this from uh, Garrett J. White, the owner of Wake Up Warrior. He talks about produce and protect a lot. And if you think of that from a business perspective, that is periodization. Yeah, produce and protect is like he, he the way he coins is like okay, ninety day outcomes, right? He's the first person I heard use that, and I started using it in my own way with a lot of people, but in myself. 90 days, you're sprinting towards the goal. Hustle, grind, get after it. Work. You have a specific goal. You're producing, creating. You're getting after it. What do you do after you get that? You protect it right? What is the maintenance plan there? It might not be a full 90 days, but if you produce one, you're going to burn out. Like yeah. if you just keep going, but if you don't push the throttle and get close to edge, you're not going to succeed. 
So after that, you have to prote uh, protect. And that's going to be like, okay, let me pull back the hustle, figure out how to maintain these elements, delegate, put people in the right position. Once everything is cool. Hit the pedal again. Hit the pedal again, right? Grow, maintain, grow, maintain. What are you doing fat loss? Lose, maintain, lose, yeah. maintain, right? It's the same thing. Totally. Um, or diet, diet break, yeah. train, deload. Like it's, it, it's universal for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think, I think that's, I think that's huge. Cool. I think it's a key. Have structure. Don't be, don't do random. Yep. No random shit. All right. Let's get on to number two. Uh, we got too much variety in your training or tweaks to your diet. So this is where program hopping kind of comes into play. Gotcha. Um, too, too much variety in your training would mean not to throw <laughs> shit at CrossFit, but here's the thing. Like, if you want to, like, CrossFit is literally a, a sport of randomness within strength training. It really is. Like, you have to be good at doing all these different elements on a wild card mentality. Meaning, like, you go to the gym or a CrossFit conference, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's kind of fucking cool. I love watching it. But, like, they're going to roll the dice and it's like, all right, here's what you get. Are you, you know, the best? Yeah, are you the best? It doesn't necessarily make sense from an energy system perspective or a strength perspective the way it's organized, but your job as a competitive CrossFit athlete is to get good at being able to accomplish intense variety. Like that's, I mean, that's literally what it is. When it comes to body composition, that is not the best way to go because you need progressive overload, which means that you got to repeat what you're doing for at least three weeks, which means like that dumbbell flat bench press. If I was switching that more, then every three weeks, like if I did dumbbell bench press this week, dumbbell incline bench press next week, dumbbell uh, or fucking push up the next week, barbell the next, like it's not enough of a repeated stimulus. So it's actually called the repeated bout effect in science. And the repeated bout effect basically means you do it once, you understand the skill. You do it twice, you can progress. So add load. You do it three times, you can start to peak. And for some people, if it's, if they're really new to it, that goes into week four, week five, week six, week seven. You can, I know bodybuilders that keep the same exact program for 12 to 16 weeks before they change anything because Logic. you're like, once you learn how to do the movement, which is neurological, it's, it's purely muscle, muscle fibers, neurologically, uh, increasing strength. You're going to be able to grow that movement, but only if you do it again and again, if I do it today and then I don't do it again for six weeks, I'm going to have to relearn it in six weeks. Right. Imagine that. Like I do a dumbbell bench press for hundred pound dumbbells for six, for three sets today. And I don't touch the dumbbell flat bench press for another six to seven weeks. There's no way I'm going to do the 110 or do 100 for more than six reps because I haven't done it in six weeks. I'm like uncomfortable. I got to figure out like stabilizing, getting used to load again. But if I do it for three, four, five, six weeks in a row, now I can progress. Yeah. In my experience with boredom, three weeks is kind of the sweet spot. And the only time I've changed variety on a weekly basis is if it's the compound lift with an advanced lifter who's not after PRs and wants to avoid injury, which I know is a laundry That's list. Quite the variable. <laughs> but example is like, I, I just uploaded a new program in the Taylor trainer called resurrection. And the reason it's called resurrection is because like resurrection is like bring you back, mm -hmm. you know? So it's kind of like for the ex athlete, um, in a way, or anybody who's like, you know, I want to look lean, feel good. I don't give a shit if I hit a deadlift PR this year, I just want to feel good, look good. I don't want any more joint pain. So there's a lot of like prehab leading into it and stuff like that joint friendly exercises, but the, the main lift of the day does change every week. Yeah. So week one is a trap bar deadlift for set, working up to a three rep max. Week two is a trap bar deadlift for th four sets of eight. So it's hypertrophy, not strength. And then week three is a speed trap bar deadlift with a band. 
So, so you're on a weekly undulated periodization system. You're using the same movement, but we're doing different intensities. And the reason for that is because it may potentially reduce injury risk and you get a variety of results. You're not going to be the strongest from doing that because you're changing it every week, but you're probably going to reduce injury risk. And the person that's doing this program wants to look good and totally. avoid injury. Yeah. Um, it's actually the program I'm running. It's modeled after what I've been playing with and doing myself. Pre- resurrection. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so I just decided to throw it in the app, uh, literally just a couple days ago, but I've been running it for a few weeks now, but point being is like, that's the only time I ever change things constantly. Otherwise, like when we're in the gym, you should do the same movement over and over again. You know, you can get away with a curl changing every once in a while because you're not going to progress that. But the dumbbell bench press, the RDL, the lunge, do it for three, four weeks straight and then change it. Yeah. And do it in the same rep range or intensity. You know, if you're doing a dumbbell lunge for eight to ten reps, stay there for anywhere between three to six weeks so you can either go from doing eight per side with 50s to ten per side with 50s or eight per side with 50s to 60 uh, with, with eight per side right? 8% with 60s. So you're either adding weight or you're adding reps with the same load. Either way, you've progressed. And you can't do that unless you repeat the exercise, the repeated bout effect, scientific term. Totally. Um, if you're doing things too, changing things too frequently, you just don't get that progressive overload stimulus and you're not going to adapt. Now with the diet, it's essentially the same thing, but you're tweaking things too often in order for your body to actually make progress or an adjustment it's pretty common that your body takes longer than a week to adjust to an adjustment or to adapt to an adjustment and actually start seeing progress. Um, for whatever reason, is the metabolism dynamic? Yes. For some people, it's more or less. There are some people where you make an adjustment and they do drop, especially like competitors and people who like, or they're so locked in that their routine and their diet is exactly the same every day. So if you make a small tweak, it does do quite a bit in a single week. But for most people, I won't even change their, their diet for three, uh, unless three weeks passes without them seeing results. Two weeks at least um, if we're in a hurry. One week, and this is the problem with a lot of people, is they do their weekly check-in and they expect a, an adjustment. They almost mm-hmm. think that it's a weekly adjustment yeah. conversation. And an insecure coach will just adjust because they're worried that the, the client won't see enough adjustments to feel like they're doing anything. Because then they go, well, why are they hiring us? They're hiring you for accountability and for results. So if waiting is the key to results, fucking wait. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm sure every coach has been there, though. I have. Yeah. 100%. And I've had that conversation with our coaches, that other comes, coaches. comes with experience and knowledge. Exactly, yeah. And and the confidence to be able to talk your client through that and educate them on how it takes time. Educate you know what them. I mean? So, um, <clears throat> But if you're adjusting your diet constantly, you're not going to give your, your body time to adapt. And then the, to add to that, if you adjust too much in one single set, you don't know what worked. So if I if you come to me and you're like, hey, it's been two weeks, and I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to change this meal, reduce 10 carbs, change five fat. Uh, I want you to increase your cardio. Like I change five things in one and you lose a pound. I'm like, okay, was it the cardio? Was it the diet? Was it a combination? Now I have to do a combination every time. Like what was the thing? But if I go, hey, this week we're going to drop calories by 10% via carbohydrates and nothing happens for two weeks and then I add cardio and the cardio leads to uh, a, a progress or a drop in your weight or whatever. Now I know that the cardio is, is making the big swings and it's, it's that activity, that energy output that is causing you to get pr- progress. But if I adjust too many things at once, I don't know what the fuck worked. Yeah. Plain and simple. Same thing with the elimination diet. If you eliminate a bunch of stuff and then you're ready to start adding things back in and you're like, all right, we're going to add grains, dairy, alcohol. So much for the elimination. Yeah. You're like, okay, now you have, uh, the intolerance comes back. You have gut issues. Which Which one one? of those did it? Yeah. You have no idea. So the point is, is, is 
Don't change things too frequently in training or your diet. Be patient. The repeated bout effect really, really comes into play in all aspects. Um, and if you adjust too many things at once, you just don't know what actually worked if something did work. Yeah. Plain and simple. Totally. All right, cool. Uh, we'll go to the next one. We got number three. Uh, harsh. No, I'm just kidding. You are just not working hard enough. This one is mainly for training. Um, I, I think this is like super, super valid with RPE and RIR, right? Um, I think that there's a lot of people. So for people listening who don't know RPE or RIR, I, I'm assuming most do just because I talk about it quite a bit. RPE is rate of perceived exertion and RIR is reps in reserve. They, they're the same thing. They work in inverse. So eight RPE is a two RIR, but that's your way of gauging your intensity, right? I think the problem with most people going into the gym and not seeing progress or not seeing results is honestly not enough people go to failure. Like we talked about this a lot. Like you either lose or you you learn, right? It's the same thing in training. If you go to complete absolute failure, like your quads are burning, it hurts, you're miserable. um, Like you just hate it. Like in I don't encourage people to throw up, but the people who have thrown up from training, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And it sucks. And you go past the point you should go to, but now you know where the point is, right? I have thrown up more than once in in training and I go, not doing that again, Mm -hmm. but now I know where my brink is, right? And I've done it both in strength training from like just doing heavy squats and I've done it in conditioning from pushing the prowler. I know what my body can handle. Therefore, I know what my ideal range of intensity is. So if I know where failure is, then I know where an eight or nine RPE or a one or two RIR is, right? So if I say leave one rep in the tank, a lot of people leave four or five in the tank because they don't know what it's like. And I've used this example before, but I've seen a video of me doing a one rep max and I've said like, that was it. That was all I had. And then I watch it and I'm like, fuck, I had three. I've just mentally psyched myself out because I was, there was a heavy ass bar on my back. But the reality is, is you have to take it there. So do it first and foremost, do it with safe exercises. Don't do it with a barbell back squat. Do it with a trap bar deadlift because worst case, you start to lift, you go, nope, and you just drop the bar, right? Um, Or even curls. Like if you ever go to a point where you literally can't bend your elbow because you've curled for like just too many reps, you're just past failure, you'll realize that you can do more than you thought. And sometimes even cheat reps and stuff like that, like you have to take it to that point or else you don't know how hard you're supposed to work. Or, or it's not failure, yeah. Or it's not failure, right? If you don't know what failure is like, how do you gauge what working hard is like? Because there's this like, there's a gap, right? There's like mediocre, failure, and hard is real close to that failure, right? Working hard enough. And again, most research shows, they say one to three RIR, right? So leaving three reps in the tank is still very productive. I never, and in any serious lift, unless it's a warm-up, I never program a RIR three, because I know people don't really get it. Yeah. You know, even for myself, I still have to put like RIR zero sometimes and I'll still probably leave one in the tank. Yeah. But it's going to that point where you're starting to really talk yourself out of it. You know what I mean? I think there's a very distinct difference between doing a rep and saying, all right, I had three more left to where you probably had five mm-hmm. or doing that one last rep and you said, I barely have one left. Yep. It just... Dude, the way I learned it, and this is very, very extreme, (laughs) but the way I learned it way back uh, at the gym, and it was like literally the example they use is like there's a gun to the head of everybody in your family. You have to leave one rep in the tank. Like, do it. Yeah. And like, there's no gun in the room, so I'm not like actually scared. But when I start thinking about that, I'm like, you know what? I got spotters here. Like, we're trying to set an example. Like, we're doing like a kind of like a training workshop kind of thing. 
Barbell back, back squat? Uh, I think I was doing a trap bar deadlift. Oh. But you were doing it might have been a sumo, but um, this is way back when I first started learning the concept oh. of like, I don't even think we use RPE or IR. It was just like training hard enough and understanding intensity because the science wasn't out on RPE back then. But it was, it was literally like, I just kept doing one more. And the person was like, one more rep, one more rep. I got you, I got you, I got you. You know what I mean? Like worst case, drop it. Like, and, and when I have somebody looking at my form, they can tell me like, that's it. And they're like, I'll tell you when it's too much because your form will break. Dude, I just kept going and going and going. And you end up doing like no shit, like 20 reps with something that you would say like I can do five with. And it's, it's crazy. There's that study of the bench press. They put their 10 rep max on the bar and the highest rep count was 26. I think the lowest was nine. And that was only one person that got below 10. The second lowest was 12. So the average was like 16 or 17 reps with a 10 rep max, which means that 99% of the participants in the study completely underestimated how, how what their 10 rep max was. Exactly, how strong they were. Um, and those are people who are serious about training. Yeah. And they're in a lab. So it, it happens. So the whole thing with you're not trying hard enough, I'm not trying to like be hardcore bro mentality and, and talk shit to people, but – I really do think there's a lot of people, I mean, shit, even when I went from lifting alone in my garage to lifting here Mm -hmm. and really it was like, it was actually funny because I I can literally recall lifting at home in my garage alone and then lifting here with you filming and taking pictures. It already was (laughs) like, I got to go a little bit harder. There's a camera here and then add in CJ who's stronger than me. And it goes like, oh shit, all of a sudden I can lift 10 more pounds on everything I do. Yeah. Why? Because there's another dude in the room that can lift heavier than me and spot me. Totally. And there's a camera. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so when you start putting yourself in those positions, you do just do more. Yeah. But, it, but it ultimately comes to, to going to failure. And I would program AMRAP sets. This is what we always do to, to test this. But put a weight that you know you're not going to hurt yourself with. Totally. Maybe it's an 8 rep max or a 10 rep max. And you literally do an AMRAP. Um, as many reps you can. A good one is trap bar deadlift. Put your body weight on the bar. Do as many reps as you possibly can without dropping the bar. Yeah. Um, you will surprise the shit out of yourself, I guarantee. And then that kind of sets the tone. Um, and the last thing I will say here, another good programming tip to push people to this, and I've done this with clients who I, uh, who I worry. There's a lot of people who I'm like, I know you're just not pushing it hard enough. I will not program reps. I will do four sets of max reps with 35-pound dumbbell. Because I'll look at their history of training and mm-hmm. I go, all right, they're doing 35 pounds for six reps. Um, they tell me it's an RPE eight, but based on this lift over here that they feel more comfortable with, I know their strength is there. And I know they've been doing 35 for a long time with this. I know they're stronger than that. So I literally just go max reps with 35, go to failure. Like until you drop the dumbbell, like I just put some shit like that. Yeah. And it'll be like the next week they get 12 reps. I'm like, you got six last week. Yeah. Like, do you see the contrast? And I just explained to him, like, do you see what's going on here? Like, keep building on that. And then now the next program says four sets of max reps with 40-pound dumbbell, you know, and they still get more than six reps. Yeah. So it's like, damn, that's dope. Forcing that's coach. them. Yeah. That's the art of coaching. Yeah. So it's like, well, what's your volume strategy? There is none. I'm trying to push them. Yeah. And then once I do and they understand what they can actually to do. Teach, strategically push them. Yeah. And then once they figure out what they can do, then we'll worry about volume intensity specifics. And there's still volume metrics there. It's just yeah. that it's a little bit more loose because you got to do that, yeah. you know? Um, but nonetheless, I think there's just a lot of people who don't push hard enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was in that boat. I think it's funny, uh, how much more weight you'll put on with a camera on you. It is actually really crazy. Actually don't film that. Let me put another 25 on dude that whatever <laughs> that day you took that sick picture of me doing a single leg RDL with the kettlebells. I posted it already. Mm-hmm. Legion posted it too. Mm. Um, over by the turf. That yeah. day was the day where I had a ton of calls. I literally was just out of it. I was like, dude, I don't want to train today, especially not legs. 
but I knew we were filming some stuff and we were taking some pictures and I was like trying to get into it. And then I had one of my best leg days ever. Mm. And it was like, if you weren't there to take a picture, I guarantee it would have been, a sh- I would have taken it easy. Yeah. Cause, and I hate to admit that because sometimes, you know, I think success is also a lot about like what you do when nobody's watching. And I, and I believe that. And there's a lot of things that I believe I do and they're traits of mine that I do when nobody's watching no matter what. However, there's also a lot of accountability to push when somebody is watching. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and that shit helps. Yep. Everybody gets burnt out, though. Yeah. All right. That's awesome, man. Let's uh, go to the next one here. We got number four. You are on a low-carb diet. You don't have energy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh burnout. I mean, yes. So at the end of the day... Carbohydrates are the body's primary fuel source, plain and simple. They're going to, they're the primary source for your brain, which is why a lot of people get brain fog when they cut out carbs um, or that like they call it uh, keto flu. The transition from being a normal person to getting into ketosis, which can be a couple weeks, could be a couple months. It depends on the person. You're just foggy and you feel like shit. Why? Because you just eliminated your primary fuel source. And now your body's trying to take protein and make it glucose for energy, which is a process called uh, gluconeogenesis. And this is the process of taking a protein or amino acid and making it into glucose for energy. Very inefficient, and it's not the best use of protein because protein is built for a rebuilding, rebu- the rebuilding Whoa. of tissue yeah. um, and getting amino acids in the bloodstream. Protein is not for energy. Carbohydrates are the primary fuel source for your brain. They're the primary fuel source for your liver. They're the primary fuel source for your muscles. They're, they cr- help create ATP, which is another intense model of uh, energy. So when we think of being explosive or powerful, carbohydrates are going to help that. Yeah. Um, there's just so much. They're more thermogenic because you burn more calories per gram of carbs than you do fats. I mean, there's just so much. They help stimulate the thyroid, the metabolism. Like, Carbs are so, so important, and so many people cut them out because of, of dogmatic approaches to dieting, intermittent fasting, ketosis, carnivore, all these different things that I'm not saying are stupid or don't work at all because there's special scenarios where people have illnesses or autoimmune issues where some of those things do work. But the problem with a lot of people chasing body composition results or strength results or performance results is they eliminate carbohydrates and they're taking away their best tool to perform harder, you know? Again, carbs are the primary fuel source for your brain, your muscles, your liver, your thyroid, your metabolism, like everything. If we take that away, we don't have as much energy. We don't have as much energy. We can't push in the gym. Our metabolism can't work as hard. We're not burning as many calories every day. Or even get to the gym. We can't. Yeah, exactly. You lack motivation probably. Now, if you stay with low carb enough to transition, you'll gain that motivation back, but you won't necessarily gain the performance back. Mm. You won't gain the muscle back very, very hard to get stronger or build muscle on a low-carb diet, which has been shown in research. They've taken CrossFitters, they've taken endurance, they've taken all kinds of athletes, and they've compared keto and high-carb or high-carb and low-carb, even with protein equated. High-carb outperforms. They've done fat loss research where they take two groups, high-carb, low-fat, protein matched, uh, low-carb, high-fat. High-carb always wins because it gives you more energy to burn more energy. And the problem with a lot of people is they read research on high-fat diets and keto, and you burn more fat if you are on a keto diet. And this is true. But it's, it's really common knowledge if you think about it. If I consume more fat, I'm going to burn more fat. So when they read like your blood work or your energy systems and they're trying to test these things, they see more fat being burned, but you're also taking in more fat. Yeah. So it's the only energy you have to burn. If I take in more carbs, I'm going to burn more carbs. But 
I'm also going to burn more calories total per day, and that leads to more fat loss on top of me building more muscle and or maintaining more muscle during a cut, which is going to lead to a better metabolism, hormones, better body composition altogether, strength gains. Um, so to me, it's obvious. It's, it's, it's not matched. The only time it makes sense to not do that <clears throat> is if somebody has no desire to perform well in the gym, no desire of muscle, they adhere better to a low-carb diet, or they have an autoimmune issue which favors low-carb. Otherwise, most people enjoy carbs. It gives them more flexibility with their diet because they want bread. They want bagels. They want yeah. pasta and rice and potatoes and stuff carbs. like that. Carbs. Everybody loves carbs. Um, and it's going to help you perform. So I think that the whole low-carb diet thing is, is it's, just, it's a dogmatic approach that a lot of people get sucked into because of false claims and people inaccurately reading research about low-carb diets and ketogenic diets. Um, there's specific scenarios and applications where it works. But for anybody listening to this, um, anybody at all in our audience that wants to perform better in the gym, wants to have more productivity, I would say too, because again, it's the main fuel source for your brain, uh, wants to promote more fat loss and or muscle gain or both, a high carb approach is going to work better and it has been shown in research. If you have enough protein and you're in a calorie deficit and you have high carbs versus low carbs, high carbs are going to outperform, period. Plain and simple. And a lot of times it, it creates more flexibility. Mm. So, um, and I've seen this with so many everyday people. Like even the people that are like, oh, I have to follow low carb because I'm insulin resistant. Because I'm overweight. I'm like, you're not insulin resistant. Somebody told you that or you read something that makes you think that. You're totally fine. Because what promotes better insulin sensitivity? Fat loss and a calorie deficit. And strength training. So if we manage stress, we strength train, and we put you in a calorie deficit, it doesn't matter if you're low carb or high carb you are going to become more insulin sensitive. That's why there's, mm. there's some linemen that they tested on football fields. Sumo wrestlers, they even have research on this. They have healthy insulin sensitivity or they have poor insulin sensitivity and it doesn't affect their ability to absorb glucose into the muscle cell. It's just that they're in a surplus, so they're heavier. And in those sports, in those positions, they need to be heavier. Yeah. If you're a sumo wrestler and you're not overweight, you're going to struggle to be good at your sport. If you're a lineman and you're not overweight, yeah. You're going to struggle. Yep. Like unless you're like seven foot and, and you're pretty lean, but you're just a massive still, human being. Yeah. But still, when you got weight, you can hold your ground or you can push over the yeah. person trying to hold their ground. Yeah. That's the job of alignment. Yeah. But for everyday people, like it's just unmatched. And I've done all the diets. I've done all the diets with clients. And it just, it, it, I've always, I've been, I've shocked so many people by putting them on a high carb diet when they thought they couldn't eat carbs and then they lose weight. Totally. So, um, yeah, and that, that's one I'm pretty passionate about because I just that's, that's probably one of the biggest myths in the, the space that I see most with clients coming on board is they eliminate carbs because they think they have to. And, and it's always funny because I'm like, how do you feel? Well, I feel like shit. How's your energy? I'm really tired. Have you had any PRs in the gym? None. Okay, well, <laughs> what if we keep your calories where they're at and we just drop your fats and increase your carbs and you had better energy and all these things? They're like, well, I'll do anything at this point. We make that switch, boom, all of a sudden they start losing weight. They yeah. start having energy. It's like I, I talked to a guy who's coaching with us right now. He's working with Brian, um, police officer, who works shift, you know, like swing shifts and stuff. And he was – same thing. He was really fit, and he was like one of the leaner, more fit guys on, on his force. I don't remember what state he's in. But I was like, dude, you're, you cannot have yourself eating a low-carb diet and fasting and being in a huge deficit like – you're not even going to, like, just thinking about working a shift uh, schedule in any industry, trying to have energy, doing that, 
There's no shot. Top, not, top notch energy. Dude, yeah. there's no way. Yeah. You know, life or death energy. Nope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not going to happen. It's so sitting at a desk. And it was cool because it's so relieving for them to hear when I break down the science. Oh, my God. And one of the most important things, I didn't even think about this, but um, so <laughs> on top of carbs being the best source of energy for your brain, your liver, your muscle, uh, I would argue your metabolism and thyroid, not really energy for, but more so like most stimulative to that. Um, and just in general to produce more energy output every single day because you're building more muscle, you're performing harder. Um, on top of all that, carbohydrates are harder to store as body fat. And this is something people have a hard time understanding, but it, it's really, really simple. So carbohydrates, it's a molecule, right? It's a type of nutrient that you absorb. It turns into glucose and then it gets transferred into glycogen. Glycogen is just the stored form of glucose, right? Very simple. So it's just glucose is here. Glycogen is glucose in the cell. That's it. Really easy. When glucose gets stored as body fat, it goes through a process called de novo lipogenesis. And this is the process of changing a carbohydrate molecule to a fat cell, a lipid. If you ingest fat, it's already a lipid. So what does it have to do to get stored as lipid? Nothing. Nothing. It just gets stored. Just like a carb gets stored as a carb in the muscle cell. So it's much more efficient. So if you are on the brink or just barely in a surplus, you're going to store fat from fat, not from carbs. You're going to burn carbs because that's your body's energy. So this is why there's a lot of people in the bodybuilding space who will go to maintenance or a surplus and they're eating very low fat diets, but they're not in a deficit. So they don't have hormonal issues and they're lean as fuck and they keep building more muscle. They have higher activity, better knee, burning more calories. It's because their body's not storing those carbs as fat. It's burning them. It's storing the fat they intake as fat, which is next to none because they have the minimum requirement. The minimum requirement is, is I, I believe, based on research that I've looked at, it's half your body weight in kilograms. So, for example, I believe my body weight is like 77, 78 kilograms. So half of that is like 40. If we round up to 80, it's 40. There you go. So I need at least 40 grams of fat to support my hormones and my health, which is not that much fat. I eat 60 to 65 grams a day. And that's like, I can do it. Um, once I go below, like once I hit 50, that's where I have to start playing with macros to be like, all right, how do I fit this stuff in? Totally. Um, so 40, it's like, man, it's really hard to fit a steak in, you know, but that's the minimum, which means that there's people, my weight eating 80, 90, hundred grams of fat because they think it's going to supercharge their hormones. Not the case. You don't need any of that. Now, if you can get away with having like I am right now, 60, 65 without, storing a bunch of extra fat because you're not in a super big deficit you might as well because it's more flexibility for your diet but the point is is you can consume less fat than you think and stay healthy and you can spend more time and more energy on carbohydrates because that's going to fuel the results you're after way more so wow so big points for carbs huge carb guy dude biology one-on-one with cody mcbroom yeah i'm a huge carb guy and i wish people would understand yeah um what bullet point was that was that number four four so we have four left there's no way i'm gonna fit four in 14 minutes Five left. We have five left? Yeah. We'll do a couple. Let's do, yeah, let's, let's hit one, and then we'll do a part two for this, okay. the last four. Because there's eight. Oh, no, there's ten total. Ten. There you go. Yep. Perfect. All right. Number five is you are impatient. As fuck. You're so impatient as fuck. Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're impatient. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, I've, I did a whole podcast on this. I don't know if it, it's aired yet. I don't think it has. Actually, I know it hasn't by the time this airs because um, I recorded a bunch of Monday Motivations basically in one single day. But, you know, the whole podcast was centered around this one topic, and I think it's pretty uh, related to the idea of patience. And 
the whole thing I talked about in this podcast was accepting difficulty. If you can't accept that the path ahead of you is difficult, you're going to be in some trouble, right? You're going to have some issues. Part of that is patience, right? So going into any outcome, I have to step into it knowing that it's going to require discipline, willpower, all the things we talked about at the beginning of this grit. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be challenges. It's going to throw me resistance. There's going to be time where it doesn't work and I have to backtrack or adjust or course correct or do whatever. Patience is required through all of that. If you're in a hurry to get to your result, you're living in the outcome, not in the process. If you're living in the outcome, you're in a hurry and you're going to make rash decisions off of emotions, not logic, which means that you're going to adjust your diet too quick. You're going to do random exercises that are more fun, but maybe not as productive. You're going to skip out on things or you're going to binge and then restrict and do all these things because you're so focused on the result at the end of the week instead of the result at the end of the year, right? And if you can be patient, you can think big picture. And that's what I would add to this, not only the idea of being patient day to day, but also the idea of thinking big picture so you can be patient and live in today, you're never going to get the result you want because you're so wrapped up in the outcome, you can't focus on the process. If you can't focus on the process, you can't give your all into the process. You're operating at 80%. And the amount of people that are operating at 80% instead of giving their 100% is insane. I did it for a long time too. I think for the first time in my life for the probably like past year, I think I've, I've slowed down and been able to see big picture, but play in today more and have a specific things, uh, a list of things to do today with training, with nutrition, with my uh, business, with everything. What is going on today? How can I isolate myself today and be present today so that I can live in the process and get everything I can, squeeze all the juice out of today's lemon before I move on to tomorrow? But if I'm so wrapped up in tomorrow, today, I can be productive. I'm distracted. I'm thinking about something that's not even in my control yet, especially when my production and what I do today influences tomorrow. Everything is a domino effect. So if you hit the gym tomorrow or today, it's going to be easier tomorrow. Yeah. If you hit your diet today, it's going to be easier tomorrow. If you do your diet all week because you've done it every day, it's going to be easier the next week. This is how habits are formed. Habits aren't formed by thinking about day 30 of meditation. It's thinking about meditation right now. It's just doing it today for five minutes. And once you get better at five minutes, by day 30, it's, it's second nature. Maybe you're doing 20 minutes by then. But I think a lot of people, it's, it's this process versus outcome. There's a good book called, uh, it might be Start With Why. Um, if, no, or maybe it's The Infinite Game. Both are by the same author, Simon Sinek. And uh, he talks about great successful people. And, you know, if you're into self-development, sometimes reading books that are more geared towards entrepreneurs or business owners are actually really helpful because a lot of them don't talk about business. Like that book is about business. It doesn't talk about marketing whatsoever. It talks about being process oriented instead of outcome focused. Because again, if you live in the outcome, you're never going to be happy or satisfied because even then, by the time you reach that outcome, if you do, the outcome's not good enough. Yeah. You're going to have another outcome, right? And we all know this. We, we, we've all chased our weight loss goal and then hit it and then want more. We've all chased a financial goal, hit it, and then want more. We've all chased any type of goal, hit it, and want more. That's just, we're humans. Yeah. We're never fucking satisfied. So if you, if you constantly focus on satisfaction instead of fulfillment, that's where you have an issue. The process is the fulfilling part. That's why everybody says like, um, I think they say fulfillment is within the journey or it's not about the end, it's about the journey. You know, you got to embrace the process, love the process. That's, that's the big key here. 
Um, and there's parts of the process you won't love, of course, right? So I think it's important to love what the process will do to you because there's times where I hate training, but I do it because I know what it's going to do to me. Uh, but the point is, is if you put yourself into the present time and just focus on now and you have a big picture mentality, everything is going to be more productive, yeah. more successful, and I you're agree. not going to quit. Yeah, I love that the fulfillment is within the journey. That's great. It's huge. Yeah. Um, one thing I said to somebody, I can't remember, who, it was, I've said it on a podcast, I'm sure too, but like, you know, depression is when you, when you experience depression, it's often about the past. It's about what already happened. It's about what you already did, what you regret, what you feel like you failed at, whatever, right? Something already happened that's making you depressed. Anxiety is about the future because well, anxiety is about what's, what's coming up that you're unprepared for or is unknown, right? Anxiety is literally stress and overwhelm created by something that is coming for you or approaching you that you are not prepared yet or you have doubts about. But fulfillment is in the present. That's where you have more of a balance. Now, you're going to experience all ends. Yeah. You can't avoid it completely. But if you want to have fulfillment and avoid those two, you have to live in the present. It's the only way. doesn't mean you can't think about the future. Yeah. Because if you do, you're not planned. And what the fuck is the present? I, I totally agree with you. I just think that sometimes depression and anxiety can be about things that are going on currently. Very true. But I think typically... Depression is about things that you don't have, you don't get depressed about something you don't know about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But something that is currently happening, literally currently happening, you can make you depressed or something that is currently happening can give you anxiety. Mm -hmm. But I think, and generally continuing to happen. So I think like depression would be, has already happened and is still happening or anxiety would be just happened and is going to continue happening. You know what I mean? So it's because anxiety is never about the past. Exactly. And depression is never really about the future necessarily. Yeah. Um, Unless you know something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Very true. Yeah. Um, But typically. Yeah. I agree with you, man. uh, uh, Somebody having a terminal illness could be an example of that. You know, it's coming and yeah. So there's obviously let's not think of examples of depression. Well, there's obviously like there's scenarios, you know, where it changes. But I think like the big point with being patient is in anything you do, it's just it's just being in the now. Yeah. You know, being here, present, right now. Because and that's fucking hard, dude. It's so hard for anybody who man is is I mean, that's been my biggest battle for ever is just being is honestly being when I was a kid, I was the most impatient person ever. Um, and I'm still impatient to an extent. I'm, I'm more patient than I've ever been, but there's still part of me that's impatient and there's still part of me that wants to go, go, go. And it's hard for me to be present because my mind is often distracted, but that's, that's the reason I meditate. It's the reason I journal. It's the reason I reflect. It's the reason I have to do lists because if I get to the end of the day and I saw all these things checked off, I can tell myself like, dude, you're done. You're you're okay. Like you don't have to keep thinking about this. You can chill for a little bit. Um, and it's the same thing. Honestly, it's the same thing with even with dieting. If you think about um, anxiety, a lot of people get food anxiety because they don't plan ahead. So I had a conversation today uh, with a client's check-in about uh, anxiety about a social event coming up in a couple weeks. She's getting anxiety about the social event because she knows she's going to drink um, and she knows she's going to have some food that's not on the diet plan. Yeah. And, and this is where, like, that's food anxiety for two weeks from now. So it, it's, it's something that she hasn't yet planned for. So what did I say? First and foremost, it's a mindset. So if you go into it not having a plan, you're going to continue to have anxiety about it until it's here. So first and foremost, let's have a plan. If you have a plan, even if you don't stick to the diet, at least you plan 
on not sticking to the diet. Yeah. So you don't feel like a failure and you're not anxious about it. You go into it knowing I'm going to have a fucking margarita. I'm going to eat some chimichangas or whatever. Um, I know she's having a margarita. That's why I'm using <laughs> this example. And, uh, and, and just know, like, that's part of the plan. Yeah. And it's okay. Eliminate the anxiety, have a plan. And then also, and this is what I said too, but we're also not going to plan on restricting before or after because that gives you permission to binge or go overboard. So you go into it knowing, I'm not changing anything leading up to it. I'm just going to have the mentality that I can enjoy one chimichanga in the same way I can enjoy 10. Yeah. Because one chimichanga isn't going to give me I don't know why I'm using that example. Um, isn't going to give me a any type of uh, remorse or regret because I had one. Having ten, it'll, I mean, during the moment it's going to be awesome. Yeah. But after I'm going to be pissed at myself. Yeah. Immediately after I finish that tenth one and my plate's empty, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to regret it. I'm going to feel like a failure. I'm going to want to restrict and get into bad habits tomorrow. So just know that you will experience that going into it, and you probably won't go as hard. Have one, two, or three. Call it good. Yeah. And then reflect and go, man, usually I have 10. I crushed it last night. And those chimichangas were fucking good. You I could. enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and a simple tip there, just because we're on the topic, I used to literally have to do this because I'll go ham, dude. I've ate like too much food in one sitting more than once um, at like Salty's Buffet. We used to take the strength camp guys there and I would just get crushed stuff. I ate a, nobody likes pumpkin pie that much in my family. I ate the whole pumpkin pie. Everybody knows about Salty's and Mother's Day brunch. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Fire. If you live out here. Yeah. We stayed the strength camp guys there on a Sunday, and it was just like, after a hard training session, we're just like, let's go. Horrible habits to yeah. clients. <laughs> um, but it was good times with those guys. <laughs> um, but uh, what I started doing when I knew, like, when I go to my grandma's, and it's Thanksgiving or it's Christmas Eve, and I know it's like, it's going down. Yeah. Um, Take a bite, put the fork down, and purposely chew and put the fork down. Uh, otherwise, I'll keep the fork in my hand, and I'll just keep going. But when you do that, it literally, all it does is slow you down. So okay. It gives you more time to realize you're full, Yeah, you know, and it takes longer. If I f- just finish quick, everybody's still eating. I'll go get seconds. Yeah. Because everybody's still eating. It's yeah. cool. Like, I'll go get seconds, you know? Um, and that's that. Like, Christmas Eve, I actually never do that because it's crab. I'm not a huge crab guy, but... Um, yeah, simple, simple tip. So at the end of the day, it's just, it's just be fucking patient. Yep. Know what you're after. Know the long game. Know that it's, it's, it's not something that's going to happen quick. Nothing great happens quick. And we all fucking know that. That's the obvious thing. You know, we're all after quick fixes and convenience. But if we all sit back and we use our logical side of our brain, we can say what we are after takes time. And if you're after something that doesn't scare you a little bit, doesn't create a little bit of self-doubt, doesn't require you to figure out how to have self-belief, doesn't require a longer period of time to accomplish, what are you even after? It's really not anything powerful. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Like, that's probably one of the most powerful things we can end on and people can hear with. If you don't experience a little bit of doubt or have trouble with self-belief, your goals are not big enough. Yeah. Period. Because you're not doing something that's going to challenge you enough that requires you to stop and go, fuck, I got to figure this out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you should be chasing goals like that. You're normal if you face self-doubt and you you need to build self-discipline and and self-belief. So chase bigger things and be patient. Use the logical side of your brain. Shit takes fucking time. And that's okay. Agreed. Cool, guys. Well, uh, (laughs) we're going to do a part two next week. So... uh that's fun. Six through ten. Yep. Yeah.